What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the 3C Podcast. I'm your host, Brett McGrath. It's Monday, and you know what that means. Another conversation with someone from my team talking about what we are working on, and hopefully we drop some insights and knowledge and give you something that you can learn from. And I'm excited about this one because I'm not talking with a marketer. I've talked with to Elena. I've talked to Jonathan several times, all marketers in nature. This time, I'm talking to a member of our product team, our fearless product leader, our CTO and co-founder, Eric Sendelbach. I thought it was important to bring him on the show to share his perspective on what he has been seeing in the B2B marketing space. He is someone who has not worked in a MarTech company, so I think there's some interesting insights that he can share that will get all of us to think about how we are presenting our content and how we are showing up in market and what someone like an Eric might think of that experience and what experiences work for him. We talked a lot about the content experience and I'm excited to share this conversation with you so you can get some insights on what we're working on a little bit on the product side, but sharing that perspective I think is going to be super helpful and paint the picture about for you about how we're thinking about the big problem we're looking to solve within our market. Definitely make sure you hit Follow Meet Fathom on Twitter. If you want to follow the show, at the 3C Podcast on Instagram and TikTok. We have been working on this campaign that I talked with Elena about a couple weeks ago, and we are still running it. So if you want to join our wait list, it's in the, the show notes, so make sure you click in and just drop us your email. We'll, we'll give you a, 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 regu- a weekly newsletter, and we'll share information about what we're working on. But for everybody who signs up, we're going to donate $5 to the Colts, Indianapolis Colts Kicking the Stigma campaign to help build awareness around mental health. We decided that we want to associate ourselves with the cause when running this campaign instead of paying Google and paying Facebook a lot of money for advertising. So what we want to do is give back to a cause and raise some awareness so if you want to be a part of our journey, you're already listening to the podcast, um, you can extend that further by hitting that waitlist link, drop it in your email, you'll get a regular newsletter from us. All right, that is enough for the plugs. Let's sit back, relax. It's Monday, but you can still be relaxed. Enjoy the conversation. All right, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to the 3C Podcast another Monday edition, and I'm excited I'm bringing on a new teammate today. The first non-marketer from our team on the podcast, one of our co-founders, Eric Sendelbach. Eric, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for uh, thanks for including me and, and diversifying the population of people on this podcast to outside marketers. I feel outnumbered, and I'm glad to be able to throw in a a uh, alternate viewpoint. Yes, and we definitely are a small but mighty team, and that mighty is full of marketers, you not being one of them. However, I would imagine you have um, learned a thing or two about the marketing space um, since you've come on and jumped on board. So I want to talk about those learnings kind of in this conversation. But first, maybe we can take a step back because I've kind of heard stories here and there about you joining the team. And I know there's been, uh, there was a meeting with you and Jonathan, maybe on a golf course, a place where you both love. Maybe talk about just how 
the process of just the conversations you had with Jonathan and joining this team and the vision and kind of what that looked like. And then finally, when you realized that this was an opportunity that you wanted to jump on board. Absolutely. So let's see here. So my entire background has been in engineering from a uh, practitioner standpoint, and I sort of made my way up uh, into various management roles, uh, having the pleasure of serving as chief technology officer of a local company here, Moby, that we were kind of a big deal in the small pond for a while. And then we got acquired. And that's kind of the world I knew was, was engineering. There was kind of this consistent theme of, of automation throughout the various stops in my career. But I had always worked in companies and industries where we were trying to provide value to IT buyers, right? So the name of the game was cost savings. And I had secretly been envious of, you know, looking from my corner in Northwest Indianapolis, downtown, where it seemed to be all the folks were doing, um, the, you know, exact target was going on and all the different companies were popping up around there. And, and I was thinking about the businesses and I'm like, man, it would be nice to put together a product that asks companies to give you dollars for growth opportunity, right? Not necessarily cost savings ROI. So I'd always been a little bit interested in marketing companies there. I, I can't say the, the, the actual practice of marketing has ever interested me, not because it's not an interesting space, but because I'm terrible at it. You know, I'm an introvert, like this type of stuff depletes me. It doesn't charge me. So I, I kind of felt a little bit both ways about it. As you said, I started talking to Jonathan even more, more so in like an advisory capacity because he, he didn't know how to go about like building this great big vision that they'd put together during sprint week. And we, we got together. I said, Hey, let's go play golf. I, I love golf, but I played a lot in high school and I'd sort of fallen off, but then the pandemic hit. Right. So that was the epicenter of my entire social life. What if I wanted to talk to somebody this year, I said, Hey, let's go out and let's play some golf. So I probably clocked 40 rounds, which was fantastic. I had the best round I ever had. It was a lot of fun. But one of those was with Jonathan started hearing about, you know, not getting beyond the, the pitch deck and talking about this business. I started to realize that absolutely, this is a product that's solving a problem for marketers, but what resonated with me was my personal experience as a content consumer. In my role, I had, I had sort of worn, I think, seven hats is what I counted them at. So I was in charge of product. I was in charge of engineering. I was in charge of our own internal, own internal corporate infrastructure, product infrastructure, security, privacy. So if I needed to get up to speed on a topic quickly, I, I relied pretty heavily on using the work that other people had done. So I was out looking for analyst reports. I tend to use simple words when trying to convey concepts between people, but there's sometimes that you want to use fancy words. You know, if I would go sit on a panel somewhere, I would want to brush up on whatever those topics were and make sure that I was up to date on all the latest jargon. So that's just another area that content, what I've come to learn now is B2B content pieces really helped educate me along the way. But that process was just extremely painful. You know, I had people just beating down my inbox, beating down my phone, asking me to buy stuff, asking me to hire contractors. So I, I honestly would, would engage with more content. And when I did find an experience with a company that, that did have like the heart of an educator and really tried to teach me something, I built a lot of brand loyalty to those people. 
Um, so, you know, talking through the consumer side of stuff with Jonathan really is what interested me in the company. And I, I've really enjoyed um, trying to amplify like that side of the that consumer audience with, with you guys, especially with all the work that Jonathan had done. You know, he'd talking to 100 different marketers, which is crazy. Like, I can't imagine having 100 different conversations with anybody in a month, right? Being that, that introverted mindset. But yeah, I mean, that, that was the hook for me. So I got to engage with a company that its revenue model is built on marketing and sales dollars, not IT dollars, which is always in that cost savings mode. And I got to do it in a way where I personally could empathize with uh, half the audience. So that, that was just extremely exciting to me. Yeah. And I think we had a moment and we've mentioned this moment on the show a little bit. There was a moment when we had a meeting and it was maybe your first week of joining because you joined, you and Tony joined a week after me. And we were talking about the consumer experience and everyone just lit up about how terrible it was to go through the consumer content consumption experience and all the hoops we had to jump through. And it was just a lot of fire and a lot of energy. And I think we all left that conversation and being like, okay, like everyone's really passionate about this and we're on to something. So I'm curious just on that side, like I know you've dug in and you've, you've had to done, do a ton of work, just understanding the landscape of content, what's being created, the segments within the space. I, I'm curious, have, are, are, is your feelings about the con- consumption experience uh, more amplified than they were a few weeks ago, less amplified? Like, what is your perspective at this point? You know, as a consumer, I always knew that I didn't like the process, but I didn't necessarily understand why it was just something I kind of had to deal with. So, so coming on board and learning about the process and having just more time to think about it has, has made me think about more of the underlying reasons of why I didn't like that stuff. I want to be careful here, not come across as too negative, but I think there is a lot of, lot of the existing B2B marketing practices that are maybe insidious is kind of too strong of a word or exploitative is too strong of a word, right? Where there's this general idea that I, as this nut person outside the marketing space, am a sucker. And then there are certain psychological tactics that can be taken to try to entrap me. You know, if I go read a piece of content on the site, all of a sudden, like the navigation stripped away. I feel like I'm in a casino. There's no windows. I know. I don't know like what time it is anymore. And and it feels almost like a car dealership experience to me. Um, I started thinking about relating the B2B consumer experience to that of a um, actual consumer company. You know, I started imagining like, what would it be like if I went into a retail store and I wanted to take a look at what you guys have to offer and you know, all the, all the little shoes that were on the rack were behind these little tiny curtains. And maybe there's a, there's a corner peeking out so I could get a little tease or a preview. And then as soon as I want to like peel the curtain back a little bit more, I've got this sales associate that's walking right up next to me, right? We've all had that experience where somebody comes up and they say, Hey, can I help you? And me, and I want to say most people, most of the time, unless I have something specific to ask about, I'm just going to say, no, thanks. I'm just looking, right? That's a very common experience in the as a consumer and as consumers in the B2B space, we're just not afforded that opportunity. 
Like they're saying like, nope, I'm just going to stand here right next to you. And I won't show you the entire shoe until you join me for a 15 minute conversation. It's, it's interesting to me, like how, how that evolved. I think maybe it has something to do with the fact that it's not in person that, you know, if, if we were doing B2B sales in person, I think there would be a lot more of these human body language and signs that people would read. But now because so much of these tools are automated, you know, it's, it goes into a marketing automation machine and, and the marketers probably don't want to do this, but they're sort of one step removed from all of that. And they just see the output that pops out on the other side. And if I, if I do A, B, and C, that leads, that, that gives me more leads at the end of the day. So whatever I do, sort of that end is, uh, ends justify the means. Yeah. I think I'll, first of all, uh, the casino analogy, that'll be running through my (laughs) head every time I'm in that experience. I immediately smelled cigarette smoke when you were talking about that and being trapped. Um, that's good. I think also the retail analogy is good. Um, you know, I think like maybe to put this into consideration, like on the consumer side, you know, you are a golfer, right? You buy golf things, whether it's clothes, clubs, you know, shoes, whatever, like chances are like, you're probably getting information on your purchases from other friends who golf, or you're doing your own research. And then you're going and you're, once you've gathered enough information, you're going out and making those purchases. And then the the items just show up on your doorstep and then you have, you know, you, you've got a new bag, you've got a new club that you can take to the golf course without yes. all of these interruptions. So I think like, talk to me about just like how you're thinking about just like us as consumers and buying things and the frictionless experience and then pair that with what's going on with a majority of B2B and how you think things can potentially improve. I really like that golf analogy. And I think there is a tie to how B2B marketing feels to consumers in that as well. And that would be a club fitting. Have you ever done a club fitting? I, 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 I'm not, I'm not a golfer, but everyone in my family is. Yeah. Like come here for $50 or maybe we're running a deal where it's a free club fitting and they draw you inside the door. And all of a sudden you are in this really awkward situation where you need to do something humanly awkward to avoid paying $2,000 for a set of clubs on the spot. Right. So I would, I would liken that to almost the B2B side of the golf club, you know, golf buying experience. Um, I, I forget where your question was going. What just, yeah, just the, the, you know, buying what we want based on our passions and interests on the, the consumer side. And it just showing up on our doorstep at frictionless, how, how that is not the case with B2B, a majority of B2B content right now. And how are you thinking about ways that we can improve this in the product and the work we're doing? I mean, as an IT buyer, I was certainly very conscious of the fact that I wanted to do right by my fiduciary duty to the company to spend that money in a, in a, in a way that I was confident that was the best purchasing decision. I would make sure that I would go out and I would do my research. You know, and the first step is typically, I don't know a whole lot about the space. So I'm trying to think of an example here. Um, couple of years ago, GDPR. GDPR was all that people could talk about, the fear of these huge fines coming down. And, and naturally, I was being asked, what do we as a company, because we did have a lot of PII about individuals, what do we need to do as a company? So I didn't know anything about it. 
And all of a sudden, that, that was when that seventh hat came on board of now you are a chief privacy officer. Congratulations. So I went out and I started trying to educate myself on the space. I came across Point Solutions that tried to trap me into meetings that would, you know, hopefully they would want me to buy something immediately from them. But I came across this company that produced a lot of really educational content and they had a reputation that preceded them. Um, I don't know if you remember back in the 90s, there was a, it was, oh, geez, what was it called? It was called Trusty. Anytime that you would see a you know, credit card form or something like that, they had like the little mm. you know, rectangle logo on the bottom that said, don't worry, you can, your, your information's safe here. It's through Trusty. Right. right? Yeah. So they're, they're, they had a little bit of brand built up over time, but I ended up gravitating myself to their content because it was educational in nature. It wasn't trying to tell me why their solution was better than the other, you know, hundred other point solutions that had popped up over time. It was telling me, okay, well, what, what kind of company do you have? Okay. You're a SaaS company. Like, here's what you need to worry about. Here's the type of data. Here's what, how we think this new legislation is going to play out. And I must have read like three or four different pieces of content that came out from them, in addition to content from other people. But I found their content to be the most helpful, the most educational. It taught me the most things. And it was weird. I, I, I felt this brand loyalty building up, the kind of the way that some people think about, you know, Ford or Chevy. Uh, and they have a consulting arm, TrustArc. And when it came time that we wanted to do an assessment and write a check for five or six figures, I mean, it was a no-brainer for me. You know, these are the people that taught me everything that I know. I feel completely confident that this is the right, the, this is the right place for us to put our money to tell us what we need to do specifically because they had demonstrated that, that they understood uh, my position and and started educating me on the, what we would need to do. It was a no-brainer decision for me to buy from them. Yeah, I, I think- like Three or four other cases in different industries like that. For, for the audience, Eric and I have, in our short time working together, have made a lot of connections and they're typically 90s related and they oftentimes uh, are references to music. We have dropped in Tony, Tony, Tony in the Slack group and that was a 90s reference I wasn't ready for, but but, but we'll accept it. I, I appreciate the nostalgia. I think it's interesting hearing you from, from a non-marketer perspective talk about that experience. I think marketers were, were, that's the expectation and that's what we're used to. And it sounds like at the time you were just, you were thinking, wow, like you're earning trust. And then all of a sudden, like you, these, this company just continued to educate. And then on the other side of it, they ended up getting a, a check from from uh, you or Moby uh, to do services in relation to what you were learning from. So I think like that's definitely good marketing by them. I'd be curious, I know, maybe talk a little bit about the like that the hands-on work you've been trying to do in the content space in B2B marketing. And let me, I'd be curious to know what what are the things in terms of the content that you're stumbling across? Because you're coming... You're 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 consuming a ton of content just based on the work you're doing on the product side. What what stands out to you with some of these B two B companies in terms of things that you think that stand out in terms of good marketing or things that are people are doing right? Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've pulled together some stats that I've that I that I've uh, come across so far that I'll, I'll be happy to share those. Going back to what you were saying about you know building trust, the the last topic. 
I just had an idea that came to me. And I think there's this idea that with the right tactics, the right B2B marketing or the right B2B sales can control the timeline of the purchase decision. If I just say the right thing, if I employ, if I hit you at this right frequency, I can dictate what that purchase decision is going to be. And I can tell you on the buy side that that literally has absolutely no bearing on it. Yes, I'm probably more likely to buy if I'm out researching a topic, but you can't really predict the timeline of these things. But so, so when it does come time that I'm ready to pull that trigger, I'm ready to write that check for five or six figures to a company, you know, who is going to stand out as being the most pleasant to interact with at that time? And that may be a week later. More often than not, I think it's probably a month later or several months later. Who left the best taste in your mouth? And that's where I'm more likely to go to. So anyways, just an additional thought on that last question. As you said, we've been going out and it's our job to just pull in a metric crap ton of content into this system. So we're just trying to get a measure of the landscape, what's out there. Um, we went and we pulled a whole bunch of companies from, um, from G2 to look at as, as a source. I did a deep analysis of about 10% of all of the sales and marketing companies that are out there, which is a whole lot. I mean, this is over the course of several evenings and, and reading resource libraries that I, that I never would have gotten into otherwise. I'd say that about half the companies out there gate their high production value content. And when I say high production value content, I mean things like eBooks, guides, and white papers. But that doesn't mean that half of those companies ungate their content. So I found that it was only about 15 to 20% of companies that don't gate that stuff. It was closer to 30% of companies. And this was surprising to me. Like they don't even publish anything along those lines. They maybe had a blog, like if that. So I thought that was pretty interesting. I had a general idea of how much valuable educational content was out there coming into this. But going through that process, I was just astounded at the amount of valuable content that is out there. It was a little bit sad because, you know, you'd come across like page eight on this company's resources page. And there's this absolutely amazing ebook that will tell this person who is in this role and has this problem, like exactly what they need to know. And I kept thinking like, well, how the hell is this person ever going to find this? Right. I'm sure when that piece of content was new and shiny, there was a campaign built around it. It was pushed out to the sales reps and they were asked, maybe they did it, maybe they didn't to push it out on LinkedIn. But again, like, I think there's this, this false assumption that you're going, you need to meet people at the right time. And that right time is not me who logs into LinkedIn on, on Monday morning, just trying to see who's changed jobs and, you know, flipping through my feed. Like you're, you're not meeting people at the time that they need that content. And when I go try to find it, I can't, I couldn't help but think like there's, there's no way that I would have been able to find, or if I was able to find, it would have taken me an ungodly amount of time, you know, because when I go looking for content, Google's the place to go. And now like SEO is just so much of a fine art that all of these just rip roared blog articles just dominate pages one, two, three, and four. So now you're looking at the dark corners of that stuff. But yeah, I'd say that was probably my main takeaway was that how prevalent gated content still was out there. 
Um, I didn't realize that because I, as a consumer, don't engage with it most of the time. You know, I'll just close the browser tab and look for something else. That and how much content was of value that was completely buried in these resource libraries that, man, I know there are people who need that, and but they probably need it a year and a half after you published it. And how, how in the heck are they going to find that? Yeah, I think it's it's interesting to hear you talk about that and it it triggers thoughts into my mind. It it triggers thoughts into my mind that are related with well, how much time, energy and resources have I spent over my career in marketing at cr- getting really excited about an idea, creating something, publishing it, running a campaign around it and then just forgetting about it and moving on to the next one. And I think marketers move fast. Marketers are always looking for the next thing. And in the example that you described, you know, there could be a piece of content that could be the piece of content that could lead to a six-figure deal because it inspires and it educates, but it's just sitting there buried on page eight of someone's blog and maybe doesn't have the right keywords to play into the algorithms of Google. Now, to me, that seems like a massive problem. And I think part of the reason why I joined the company and probably part of the reason you joined the company is that we're setting out to solve this problem, which I think is cool. I think I've talked to Jonathan about, you know, it's great that we're sharing content in Slack and I think we should be doing more of that. However, it's about finding the right time to consume that content and how we're, we're all doing a hundred different things during the day. So I think meeting people where they're at with content and finding a better opportunity to deliver that and get to them, get it to them in a frictionless experience is kind of what we're setting out to do. So I think a lot of the observations and insights you've made on, on the ground floor at early stage has been, it's been helpful, not only I'm sure for the, the vision of the product, but it's been helpful for me as the marketer, because I don't want to be one that's preaching this way, but then we're out here doing the same thing that we've always been doing. No, that makes a ton of sense. Maybe we can close out here. I'm, I'm curious, just in your month in product, the work that we're doing, what, what, what excites you the most? Like when you get out of bed, I'm sure it's probably not grinding through a bunch of <laughs> B2B marketing content. No, you're, probably, <laughs> you're probably sick of that at this point, but what, what excites you the, about the future of the product and what you're working on? I'm excited about closing that gap, right? I'm excited to bring to an audience sort of the revelation that I've had in my exploration of this content that there really is a treasure trove. Like there's a buried treasure chest underneath like the front pages of all of these, these content hubs. And I'm looking forward to building an audience and having them have that eureka moment where they don't realize that there is probably whatever your industry, whatever your problem, whatever your role, there is probably an educational piece of content that has been written that will accelerate the solution of that problem for you. And we are trying to gather and enrich a metric crap ton of content. And unleashing that on the world is probably what I'm most excited to do. I, I can't wait for other people to have that aha moment. And, you know, they, we're, we're both Notre Dame football fans, right? And we were just talking a little bit before the podcast about the the vastness of the merch options that you can buy from them, right? And I remember listening to a comedian like George Carlin talk about a, 
if, if you wanted to, you could find like a, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this, but the, the, the concept of a, a glow in the dark left nostril inhaler. Like, <laughs> so like, I'm pretty sure at Notre Dame, you could find a, a left nostril glow in the dark. inhaler. <laughs> I think the same applies of the content that's out there. And for those people who have very specific needs, I think they're going to be able to find it here and being able, being able to connect people with that in, in the least friction way possible is, is, is extremely exciting to me. I love it. I love it. Eric, you're a month in and you're already doing marketing things in your new marketing company and you did a great job. I, I appreciate the time and the perspective. Um, we'll give you a little breather, but maybe once the product is launched, we can uh, we can uh, have you back on to hear what the users are saying. Absolutely. Happy to do this. I told Brett that at my, uh, my last gig, longstanding gig of 10 years, uh, I was able to skirt this responsibility for all 10 years. So I wanted Brett to feel like this is really important for me to sit down and do this. So I'm definitely getting out of my comfort zone, but I'm looking forward to doing it a little bit more frequently and, and uh, getting some reps in and building up that muscle. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for the perspective. Uh, talk to you soon. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye. Man, I'm glad Eric decided to jump on and spend some time a month in to talk about what he is working and what he is thinking about. This was a little outside of his comfort zone, but I thought he did a bang-up job. I learned a ton. Hopefully, you learned something, too, about our product vision and direction and the things that we're running into from a content perspective in the market. If you like what you heard, hit the subscribe button. We'll be back on Friday, new episode with a marketer talking about content. Have a great week and talk to you then.